Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Namihinui and welcome. From RNZ National, here's our changing world. In the last few years, there's been a revolution in our understanding of New Zealand's ancient biota. And it's a revolution that shows no signs of stopping. To find out more, I catch up with three experts after a recent conference on animal paleontology and evolution. I met them at St Bathans in central Otago. This is an ancient lakeshore that dates back about 16 to 19 million years ago. And it's one of our most important fossil sites. Discoveries here have already rewritten New Zealand's prehistory books, adding creatures like a crocodile and a small terrestrial mammal, as well as lots of birds. Here's Paul Schofield, Trevor Worthy and Jamie Wood to bring us up to date with what they and other experts have been discovering. There were two talks at the conference that highlighted how much has actually been happening in New Zealand in the last 10 years. It's really quite amazing. In fact, one of the talks by Alan Tennyson from Te Papa was actually discussing the fact that we've dis- described a new extinct bird species every year since 2009 in New Zealand. So it's certainly not true that we have a complete handle on extinction in New Zealand. We're still finding and describing new species of bird. And are there still bones out there that you haven't ascribed to a species that could be new species? I can think of at least three that we'll probably be describing in the next two or three years. And one of the reasons for this is the fact that we're now using ancient DNA for these younger Holocene birds and other animals, and that's finding cryptic speciation that we didn't know about before. So what kind of birds are being discovered? Well, the most recently described species was a shag that was found in the dunes of Northland, and we gave the name Kohatu shag, and that's a species closely related to the critically endangered king shag of Marlborough that Trevor actually identified a few years ago as being in existence but um, we've only just now um, determined what type of animal it was and the fact that it was different from um, the existing shags. Paul and I and Vanessa DePetri just did a review of all the things that have been happening in the fossil record in New Zealand in the last less than 10 years, last seven years. So going back in deeper time from the Holocene, we have doubled the known number of fossil birds in, in the last seven years. So what do we know now about, for instance, this site where we are here, the Manahara here, what do we know about the fauna here? We, we know quite a lot, really. There's something like 70 species that we can say existed here. A lot of them do not have formal names yet, like we know there is an eagle and a kite, a couple of pigeons. We've named one of those pigeons. One, one of the pigeons is about to be named. It'll come out very shortly. But other major groups, like the songbirds, the passerines, we, we've got a big pile of passerine bones, but we have not yet turned our attention to figuring out what kind of animals or birds are represented. One of the papers at the conference, if I'm right, was about the crocodile that's been found here. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Where are we at in our understanding of the crocodile? 
Yeah, we're getting quite a long way down the track on that. We've got about 150 fossils of it now. Frustrating fossils because each one is a small piece and so we haven't got something like a whole skull or a whole jaw, but we've got enough to know they grew to three metres long and surprisingly that there's quite likely not one but two species represented, which is a surprise to me because the the colleague who's working on that has only just determined this in the last week or so. So that's you know pretty amazing. To, it's amazing to think New Zealand had a crocodile because that's the most southern location in the world for crocodiles, full stop. But to have two as well. And it's frustrating because we don't have a nice jaw of this thing or a nice skull. So do we have enough to be able to tell us how it might relate to other crocodiles? We're evolving that understanding. Literally each piece we find um, increases our understanding of that and we're getting close to the point where we'll be able to give it a name and place it in a phylogeny which enables us to understand exactly where it belongs in the crocodile tree of life. The frustrating thing, as as Trevor mentioned, is that this crocodile, unfortunately, was probably being eaten by other crocodiles, and so its skull is being literally crushed up into into these small pieces. This site um, is slightly frustrating from that point of view because of the fact that um, we're not finding really big bits of bone. We're only finding, you know, comparatively small things. Like we've got parts of a moa femur and parts of a crocodile skull and and parts of um, some of these much larger birds. But we've got an, an amazing fauna of the really small stuff, and that really small stuff. We've got teeth only a few millimetres long from um, some of these fossil bats. Even this site here, we're still struggling to understand it and struggling to find new parts of it which might actually have more interesting bones or different types of bone. So it's still an evolving thing, our understanding of, of even this fossil site, where, where we've been working now for um, 17 years. Two species of crocodiles, any idea how many species of bats? Six species now. We've, we've looked at, or Sue Hand, who's the expert on these things, has looked at the mysticenid bats, which is the same group that's the special endemic ones for New Zealand now, the, the burrowing bats. We've got two current ones living, or one we know is definitely living, and one is possibly hanging on off these islets of Stewart Island. But in this site, we've got three species of those, of which we've named one to an actual species. The other two didn't have the right bits. You know, People who study mammals like to have molars, and if you haven't got molars, they, they're very hesitant about naming something. But they, were, they have enough to know that there was, they were different and smaller than the one they did, did name. And then there's another one that's going into a new genus. It's, it's in submission now. It's being reviewed, a paper describing it. That's, that's a, quite a special one. So for a while we thought it might have been in its own family, but we're going with being in Mr. Cena Day, which is the New Zealand bat special family. And we've got most parts of its, or all of its molars represented. But then there's things like the long-tailed bat. We've got ancestors or something of that family and a couple of others as well, so quite a few bats. Can I ask, where are we at with the terrestrial mammal that you once found here? <laughs> that is slightly more, more difficult because we know that now that there's at least two kinds. Two kinds? There's two kinds. It gets more complicated. <laughs> represented by various bits that are not as informative as, as the mammal people would like. So... We have, in fact, two teeth. We have a, a premolar of one that 
is your very average primitive mammal. It's found in major groups. So it just tells us there's a something. It could have been a dog or a bandicoot or a cat. I mean, it's something, but it's very little, and it's not a bat. And then there's another one that's got a, a molar, but it's a molar that all the mammal people in the world have never seen the likes of before. So that doesn't help either, because if you haven't ever seen it, we don't know what group it belongs to. And, and we've got some long bones and pieces of jaws, but we haven't found a nice skeleton all joined up, you know, which is you know, the Holy Grail, and it's what often happens in, in China, like in the Jeho Biota, where they can you find a flat one you know, with everything there. But here we've just got these bits, which is a jigsaw puzzle, which is slightly frustrating, but that's life. Jamie, you work with ancient DNA. These guys work with bits of bones. You work with bits of ancient DNA. So what's been happening in your area recently? Well, one of the things I was surprised at at this conference was the sheer number of talks that used ancient DNA. I think if you had been at this conference four or five years ago, um, there might have been one or two talks, but there would have been almost 10 talks at this conference that used ancient DNA. So it is a a rapidly growing field and a lot more people are using it. Even uh, students of modern DNA are incorporating ancient DNA into their studies to better understand the history of um, New Zealand's birds. You were talking on the laughing owl? Yes. So tell me about that. What do we know about its relationships with other owls? The laughing owl has always been a bit of a mystery. Um, It's been placed in its own genus and um, the relationships of the laughing owl to other owls have always been a bit bit obscured. And so we were able to sequence a mitochondrial genome from the laughing owl and compare that to um, DNA sequences from other owls. And actually what we found was that it wasn't in its own genus. It was actually within quite a widespread genus that includes um, New Zealand's Mopork. So it was basically a big cousin to the Mopork. But pretty terrestrial? Yeah, so part of the reason why its relationships had been obscured in the past was that it had quite um, strong adaptations to life on the ground, and so it had quite long legs. And that probably reflects that the fact that a lot of its prey in New Zealand was on the ground. So we have a lot of ground birds. Um, our bats spend a lot of time on the ground and also large insects as well. The ancient DNA guys are now working more and more in a multidisciplinary way with the morphologists. So instead of just tackling uh, the, the relationships of the owl with DNA alone, we, the people are making teams where they get a morphologist and the DNA guy, and, and together they study the skeleton and the DNA um, from the two-pronged approach. To and so all of these new modern birds from the Holocene or, or reassessments of other Holocene bones, which or birds that we think are special, it's it is a multidisciplinary approach now, where we're mixing and matching the what you can learn from the bones or the feathers and the DNA, not just one alone. Shame this site is too old to give you any DNA. Well, yes, but but it is important in the DNA world because what it means is if we find a pigeon here and it can be shown from morphology to be related to, say, the New Zealand pigeon, then that means the New Zealand pigeon lineage has been here for whatever the age of the site is. So if we say it's 16 million years and then people start doing DNA relationships of of the various pigeons, they have to put the origin of the New Zealand pigeon limited by this age. 
A great example of that was the study on New Zealand wrens, which has just come out. And so that included sequencing mitochondrial genomes of several of New Zealand's extinct wren species. And then that was analysed using the fossil of a New Zealand wren from this site as a calibration point. So we're able to use that and look at the timing of the splits between the other lineages. The exciting thing about this site is, you know, we're not even near the end of describing the stuff we've already collected. I mean... The uh, Royal Society's been very generous in funding a three-year project um, for D- Vanessa de Petri, who's working um, on the fossil wading birds of this site, and we've already found um, a remarkable uh, little wader, most closely related to birds in Australia, the plains wanderer and the seed swipe of South America, and there's going to be some really exciting publications in the near future about these animals. I would predict that once we start looking at the songbirds, you know, we're, we're likely to find the ancestors of huyus and kokako and, and yellowheads. But we're also going to find things that are no longer here, things that we expect to see in the warmer parts of Australia. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's bowerbirds here. So watch the space. Well, yeah, watch the space. It'll, it'll be happening for the next few years yet. Thanks, Trevor. That was Trevor Worthy from Flinders University in Australia, and we also heard Jamie Wood from Manaki Whenua Land Care Research and Paul Schofield from Canterbury Museum. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on November the 9th, 2017. Want to know more? We are on the web at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld and we're on Twitter and Facebook as RNZ Science. Subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes or Radio Public. And another RNZ podcast series you might like to try is The Lost, in which Paloma Magoni digs into the true stories of New Zealand's missing people. Bye for now. Māori ora.